The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Eco Right Speaks. I had to think about that, listeners. A podcast produced by RepublicEN.org. I'm Chelsea Henderson, Director of Editorial Content at Republic EN, and I'm so happy to be joined today by John Sweeney, who's been a valuable member of our spokesperson team for many years now, and who I just have to note, after taping our episode, was published in Human Events with his latest op-ed, The Case for Eco-Nationalism. On the day our episodes drop, I always post on our website any links referenced in the show, so be sure to check out his latest op-ed, The Case for Eco-Nationalism. Before we get to the interview with John, though, I'd like to welcome our engagement director, Wen Lee. Hi, Wen. Hey, Chelsea. How are things going on the West Coast? Uh, Things are good, sunny and warm. Probably not as hot as it is here. I think we're 90s and super high humidity on in the dc metro which is like my least favorite weather in the world (laughs) oh yeah that that does not sound fun well i'm envious of where you are and i just wanted to have you on today because i know that our listeners who might be members of the community are used to seeing your name grace their inboxes if you're not a member Wen is the organizer of all our actions and polls, and she manages our Twitter response team and basically keeps all of our members engaged. So if you aren't a member of our community, please head to our website, republicen.org, to sign up. Wen, every month you come up with these creative ways for us to engage with our community and often for our community to then engage with their elected officials. How uh, Do you have some favorite actions that stand out to you? Uh, It's always really fun to think about actions that we can take with our community. Um, The thing is that people sign up to join Republican and um, and then they think, now what? Now what do I do? And so that's um, the best part of my job is thinking about ways that we can give people things to do that are meaningful um, and that can raise the voice of the equal right and to bring about solutions to climate change. So I would say... Some of my favorite actions um, are uh, ones that, hmm, I would say some of my favorite actions are those where constituents can directly contact their representatives um, and their elected leaders to let them know that they care about climate change. It's really important for, for elected leaders to hear from constituents, especially conservatives, that they care about climate change. And then my, my other favorite actions are ones that are fun, where um, People get to vote on their favorite things or, or uh, share, share interesting stories about their personal lives, that kind of thing. Yeah, I really liked the one that was pick your eco or who is your eco right superhero. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I think my, <laughs> mine was Catherine Hayhoe, if I remember correctly. Well, she's pretty much everyone's eco right superhero. But um, she, I think that we did that for, I think it was Earth Day, and we had people... Um, say, uh, like match their personality types with, um, with a, a handful of um, well-known eco-right leaders and then see who they matched up best with personality-wise. I also liked the one we did last month where you had to pick your quarantine house. Yeah, I think that was your idea, Chelsea, to begin with, because you saw that. (laughs) Yeah, it was. So thanks for that brilliant idea. Yeah. And then, um, and then uh, you helped to put together these five houses like if you were stuck in quarantine uh who would you want as housemates and uh there were there were some fun choices in there for sure it was a mix of uh people in congress but also local leaders and also uh uh, scientists and 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 others uh in the eco right community so that that was really fun I have to say, I'm at the part of quarantine where I don't want anyone in my house. But <laughs> what about yeah. what about your what about your cat, Chelsea? Oh, Would no, you allow your cat? My two cats are lovely, um, except for <laughs> one of them has been waking us up really early. She's been getting up at like five thirty when it's light out and just standing in the hallway and meowing. Oh dear! And she really wants Colin's attention, and he's the heaviest sleeper. So of course, who wakes up? I wake up. 
but I try not to acknowledge her because I'm afraid if she sees that I notice that she wants something, then she's going to take advantage of me. (laughs) Right. So just ignore her. I just ignore her. But I definitely created those houses with some thoughts in mind of which ones I would want to, or who I would want to be stuck with, mostly so that I could, you know, convince them to come on the podcast, of course. (laughs) Of course. Well, if you've never taken an action before and you are a member, just note that when really does try to make these easy and sometimes they're fun, most of the times they're fun. And we really encourage you to try one sometime. And again, if you're not a member, go to our website. It's easy to sign up. We do not spam you. You'll get an email from me every Friday that summarizes all of the best conservative climate news of the week and sometimes the funniest news of the week and these days there isn't a lot of news honestly so they're pretty short i try to just hit the high notes um and then you'll get these messages from when um occasionally with the polls and, and actions so it's really you know we're not at coming at you in your inbox every day we definitely all respect having nice clean inboxes so and, and just, you know, just as a reminder, I know people feel like they're just one person and they can't do much about climate change or change the mind of their, uh, you know, their Congress people. But um, it really is like a it's like a marathon, not a sprint. Right. Like when we speak up um, enough times and consistently and over time, that's how change happens. So that's why it's important to stay engaged. And even though, you know, we send out, you know, one one or two emails a month saying, oh, don't forget to tweet to your congressperson. Don't forget to write this letter. It may seem like you're not making that big of a difference. But remember, it's it really is. It's it's the collection of actions over time with lots and lots of people that make change happen. So it's it is really important what you're doing. So thank you so much for for speaking up for the eco right and and being active in our community. Thanks, Wen, for making that pitch. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I can say as somebody who has worked on Capitol Hill in the U.S. Senate that if you are doing one of those actions that is a letter to your member of Congress, we never ask you to support any piece of legislation because actually that's not the kind of organization we are. So we're mostly just um, asking you to share your opinion on climate change or a potential solution or maybe share an article. It's all very um, education-based. And those messages, those emails make a difference. They see, the members can see that they come from their district or come from their state. And when they start to see that uptick, then they know that they need to start paying attention to something. So it is a kind of old school way. We just, in the old days, we used to get postcards. We would get so many postcards delivered to our offices. And now it's emails. So it's a little bit easier. You don't have to go to the mailbox or anything. Um, So please do take actions if you are part of our community and please join our community. If you're not, we would love to have you. And And we make it really easy. Like we, we make it really easy. We have the letters already written and you can edit them however you like, or you can just send it. It it literally can take you just 10 seconds to do something really meaningful. For sure. Well, thanks for all you do on that front. And, you know, I feel like everything when touches just turns amazing. So when she joined our team, <laughs> we never had an agenda for our weekly calls. And then when said we need an agenda and now we have an agenda and we never took notes that sort of gave action items and stuff for our calls. And now we do. And we have these amazing actions and they happen regularly. And there's one other skill that or one other thing that I know of anyway, that when when touches turns to magic, and that is her garden. She is the most amazing gardener. <laughs> and as somebody who's trying to work on my green thumb, I really um, respect your abilities big time. And I just remember you had this ginormous carrot once that you grew. Yes, my I did. So puny. How did you get that carrot so big? <laughs> you know, I, I don't really know how to garden like I, I really appreciate your your compliments but I honestly am just experimenting and trying things and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't and so with carrots like I've tried carrots for many years and sometimes they're super puny and then this time I just like pulled it up and it was like 12 carrots in one carrot and it had like several shoots and it was it looked kind of like um, it had tentacles. It was like this carrot monster. Um, and I like made a video about it cause I was like so astounded. Um, but 
like so so it's okay so this is what's really funny is that i showed a picture of this like mutant carrot um to my friends on social media and my former biology professor commented she said when i think you have nematodes <laughs> which is which is not a good thing it's like these tiny little worms that like mess up the growth of the carrot and makes them split into like several several like you know carrot tips and so um, the, so I think I had a monster carrot cause it was growing really well, but also uh, apparently it was affected by nematodes. And so it like made all these like, uh, offshoots come out and, um, but anyway, it doesn't affect the, it only if, uh, the nematodes only affect the look of the carrot, it doesn't change the way it tastes and doesn't make it unhealthy or anything. So I still ate it. It was fun. It was fun to cut. I had to cut off all the weird, like root things and it, t it tasted like a normal carrot. But it was hilarious. I was because you never know when you like pull it up. You don't know what it's going to look like. You like pull it up with anticipation. And this like this time it was just this like crazy, crazy carrot. That's amazing. You know, I mentioned or we talked about this on the episode with Mariana Mancuso that when the quarantine started, I hadn't really tried my hand at vegetables much just because I have a pretty shady backyard or I did have a pretty shady backyard. I had a big tree taken down that had died. And so now I have a little more sun. And so I've been experimenting with things. And I read this article that was about food you can grow from scraps. And I got very into we're going into quarantine. The grocery stores are crazy. There are shortages everywhere. I better start preparing to grow my own food. So I had these potatoes that had all the little um, little spuddy things growing out of them. Um, mm -hmm. So I cut them all off and I planted them in the ground and then I promptly forgot about them, planted something over them. And I was watering a few weeks ago and I was like, oh, what are these big rocks in my garden? And they were potatoes. <laughs> they were full grown potatoes. And I was like, this wow. is magic. I just <laughs> felt so good about that. And the, I mean, I had That's three. Awesome. So the kids were like, um that's not all you're going to make for dinner, is it? Um, <laughs> anyway, when that's you're great. so fun to have on the team and I really sometimes miss that we are a whole coast, a whole country apart from each other. And some of the, one of these days we'll all get back together in the same area code and get to swap stories in person. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, of course. This is a real pleasure, and I'm so excited that we're doing this podcast. And Thank you so much for all the work you're doing on this. Yay. Well, thanks so much. And coming up next, my interview with John Sweeney. But first, we are podcast babies, and we rely on your subscriptions to our podcast and your kind reviews. So please subscribe to the EcoRight Speaks on your favorite way to listen. While you're at it, tell your friends, tell your family, help spread the word that there is a growing community of conservatives who support climate action. Help us put the eco right on the map. Our scrappy team is super grateful for your support. And now, our executive director, Bob Inglis, with an idea worth sharing. I was meeting with the senator's staff. The senator is one of the main opponents of climate action. So I asked his staff, when his grandchildren come home? And they interrupted me. They said, oh, he's had the conversation with his grandchildren. What became clear to me was that if that senator is ever to be reached, it's going to be through those grandchildren. And so, you know, maybe it's the children and the grandchildren of conservatives that will convince them to take action. Maybe it's an idea that we're sharing. Today, I'm super pleased to have John Sweeney with us. John is a principal at Park Madison Partners in New York, New York, where he is responsible for providing capital raising and advisory services to the firm's real estate private equity clients. John has been involved in Republican politics since high school, having volunteered on numerous local, state, and federal election campaigns spanning from the conservative heartlands of Tennessee to the liberal stronghold of Manhattan's Upper East Side. He is a dedicated foot soldier for the conservative movement and currently serves as the treasurer of the Metropolitan Republican Club in New York City. John is also one of our spokespeople. So for those who don't know, at Republic EN, we have these super volunteers. We call them spokespeople because they get out and amplify our voice, our message, the eco-right message, um, through a variety of means, writing op-eds, which we help edit and publish in local papers, taking to social media, 
uh, organizing events for Bob Inglis when he comes to town, or if you're John, you've probably done all three. I think you have, right? John, you've taken all three of those actions. Yes, yeah, I have. Yeah, so some of our spokespeople really like to just focus on one thing or another, but John is very talented. So welcome, John, who also, I just have to note, recently welcomed his first child to the world. So welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. It's great to be here. Always good to talk to you. So, John, in your own words, you were the one who coined the foot soldier of the conservative climate movement. And I'm just wondering, now that you're a dad, how has your perspective on climate change action changed in these short few weeks since you've become a father? It's an interesting question. I would say my perspective has sharpened, but hasn't necessarily changed. I've always uh, kind of had this mindset of, Um, wanting to make sure that people who come after me have the same opportunities that I did. I saw myself as very fortunate growing up where I did in rural Tennessee. I mean, I I got to experience lots of um, wooded areas and wildlife. And, you know, I would come home from school and I would just go get lost in the woods for hours. Um, Spent a lot of time like lakes, streams, smoky mountains. One of my first moments as a kid whenever I became sort of environmentally aware was um, going hiking in the Smoky Mountains. And anyone who's been through there would, would probably be, like recently would be familiar with this, that uh, there are a lot of the trees and the tops of the Smokies that are just dead. Like you'll get to a certain point in the tree line and all of a sudden all the trees are dead. And like what, what happened to these trees? Was there a fire? Was there, you know, some sort of pine beetle or something that got them? And it was the pollution from Knoxville wafting up into the Smokies. It just got too much, and the air was thinner up there, and it was it just made it it magnified the effect of the pollution and killed all the trees. And I just that was the first time I realized like just how much of an impact that humans can have on the environment around us. And it was sad to me. Um, that was that was when I was a kid. As I grew up and moved to the city, and started thinking back on how lucky I was to have that. Um, like all those, you know, that, na- that nature around me, I wanted to, I wanted to find a way to preserve it. I started to think more about climate change. I actually started out as a climate change skeptic. Like you are not alone. I will say a lot of our Republican uh, team started off that way. So including Bob Inglis, yeah. our founder. <laughs> I, I was spending my time, a little bit of time researching, uh, the Republican stance on climate change to try to figure out how I could debate my liberal friends on it and prove that they were wrong. And going through the data, I actually started to become convinced by the data. Um, and I flipped, did a complete 180. And um, that's whenever I started to connect all these different pieces. Um, and like I said, maybe it's maybe it's from time in the Boy Scouts, where you're always taught like to leave things better than you found them. But I just saw that what we were doing to this planet was wrong and that future generations were potentially not going to have the same opportunities that I had. So I decided to try to do something about it. Um, And I really wanted to do something within the Republican Party uh, because I felt that the party stood for a lot of good things and um, but was wrong on climate. And so I've been working as you have and as many people at Republican have to to try to shift the party stance to to more constructive narrative. Talk to me a little bit about what you have seen as the evolution of the party and the experience that you've had from the various campaigns you've worked on in terms of openness toward embracing some sort of action. I know you've worked in New York to try to engage local Republican lawmakers. And so I I feel like I've seen a shift where I am, but I'm wondering what you're noting um, in the more localized work that you're doing. It's hard to, it, it, there's definitely been a shift. Um, I think a lot of the shift is being driven by younger generations of conservatives now coming up into the party. Um, but there's also a shift just from people seeing the changes going on around them. I mean, just here locally, like in New Jersey, there are lakes that used to freeze every winter and there, you know, people have family photos of their, you know, their aunts and uncles and grandparents ice skating on these lakes and those lakes never freeze anymore. So they notice things like that. Um, 
if you're skeptical on global warming and climate change, you might still be skeptical about what the causes are, but there's more of an acknowledgement that it is happening. Uh, you've gone from Republicans saying like, there is no climate change, there is no global warming to, yes, the climate is changing, the earth is warming. And it the, always and, has been. And yeah, it always yeah. has been. Like it's, it's just part of the, the natural cycle, the organic yeah. retreat from the last ice age continuing, yada, yada, yada. So I think there's, there's, there are people coming around to the idea that there's a problem. And I think there's, there's some, some recognition that perhaps human activity is part of the problem. I think uh, that we see in Washington, you know, and I hate to always be in my Washington bubble. I try to get out of it, which is why it's good to talk to people like you who are outside of it. I know you have your own bubble. Everyone has their own bubble that they live in. But I really felt like the shift we saw on the national level came after the 2018 election and that House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy looked around and said, hey, we're not going to get those voters back, those suburban voters, the young voters who might lean more conservative, lean more right, but they are the eco-right, right? They completely, like you, they've had very personal experiences in the environment, or they remember when that lake used to freeze over and they could ice skate on it, or for whatever reason they have a connection to their environment. At the same time, they want to see they tend to believe more in conservative, other conservative policies, but they can't sustain, they can't vote now for elected officials who want to keep their heads in the sand on climate change. And, and we saw a little thaw on the Hill. We saw leaders not coming up with the solution, the free market-based solutions that we um, tend to favor, but uh, coming up with a suite of options. And it's something, right? So incremental process, progress is better than no progress. Yeah, it was nice to see Kevin McCarthy kind of bring the, the House Republicans along and at least dip their toes in the water on this uh, to try to do something. Um, and you're right. I mean, that is driven by political calculus. So let me ask you a question. You recently had an op-ed published in The Hill, and we will link to this piece in our show notes the title was What the Patchwork of COVID-19 Responses Can Teach Us About Climate Change, for those who just want to go ahead and Google it now. And in this piece, you really made the best comparison between the coronavirus pandemic and climate change. And I would just love for you to take a second to summarize it for our listeners. Yeah, so I was, I mean, there's a, there are a lot of comparisons that people make between coronavirus and the pandemic and public response to it and climate change obviously like you know the scientific argument the people pushing back on the science etc and like some people taking action others saying no we shouldn't do anything so there's tons of parallels you could make um the one that i zeroed in on was this idea of the leakage problem which is um i think forms the basis of a lot of my beliefs on climate so on solutions for climate change uh, the leakage problem, for, for the listeners who don't know, is uh, this phenomenon where if you take a country and you invest trillions of dollars into a green energy overhaul, uh, similar to the Green New Deal, uh, you might bring your carbon emissions down drastically. But as you do that, you're going to stop burning as many fossil fuels, and those fuels are going to get a lot cheaper. Other countries are going to exploit that or they might exploit that. There's a pretty good chance that developing nations like China and India are gonna take advantage of it to supercharge their own manufacturing sectors. So that would largely offset our efforts to bring down our own carbon emissions. And of course, our planet is a closed ecosystem. So what someone's burning on one side of the greenhouse affects everybody on the other side of the greenhouse. Um, so we would be no better off and a lot poorer. I guess, if, if that were the, were the case. So I saw a parallel between that phenomenon and the quarantine measures that people were taking. Um, a, a very stark example that I can point to, there was a, there was a picture that circulated um, from Florida on the beaches where there was a line in the sand between um, St. Uh, shoot, I'm going to blank on the name. Oh, these were two cities in Florida, right, where one 
at the at the line that marked the different the boundary of the two cities. One, they had no their beaches were closed, and one, the beaches were open. Was that it? Yeah, it was it was between Duval County and the county right next door, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm blanking on the name of the county next door, but uh, Duval County stayed open, mm-hmm. and the county next door closed, and so you could see in Duval all the beaches were crowded, and next door they were closed. Everybody just left the the other county and went to Duval. So this other county that took all these precautions, um, they were losing sales tax revenue. And they weren't necessarily insulating themselves from the virus because people were going and contracting it in Duval and bringing it right back. So it was a classic example of the leakage problem where you're taking action to solve a problem, um, but because others around you aren't taking the same action, you're just worse off economically and you're not really putting a dent in the problem at all. Um, So I wanted to try to illustrate that uh, as something of a teaching moment during this COVID crisis. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting angle. And of course, we had heard people saying that the biggest correlation was just that it takes worldwide cooperation, which it does. Climate is going to take a global response for the reasons you just mentioned. We cannot operate in a vacuum. No single country can operate in a vacuum and solve climate change. So we all do have to do our part. But that it was the sense of that sense of urgency of responding urgency and listening to the science you know we'd heard a lot of these arguments but you were the first to make the leakage one so i and i love it when our republic en spokespeople get published and sound super smart so i just thought that was a great piece well it's always exciting when any of us get published because it's so hard to to get that to happen it is really hard these days when i first started this gig getting I think we had 15 or 20 in our first year. And last year we had six op-eds published. We've already had nine or 10 this year. So last year was sort of a dry year, but you were one of our sunny spots last year. You had the piece in the National Review Online. That was last year, right? I feel like time has compressed in a really strange way since we've been in quarantine. But, um, and that sort of um, forays us into John's social media presence where He had written this piece, which again, I will link. I don't have the title off the top of my head, but it was published in the National Review Online and it was on Twitter. uh, Could a revenue revenue neutral carbon tax be the first step towards combating climate change? I think it's it's a very wordy title that (laughs) National Review came up with. Um, So that piece ended up... The, the was it the tweet or the link that got included in Dave Roberts' response on Vox for why conservative climate activists weren't a thing? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. this was um, this this was the biggest moment for for that piece was when David Roberts at Vox he actually tweeted out the article. That was it. I knew there was some he, social media. And he said he said something to the effect of expect a lot more of this type of disingenuous BS from the right on climate. Um, which I don't know. I think I think any time you know as 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 eco right people we often get accused by people in our own party of being sellouts and being liberals that are just you know. We're closeted liberals in the Republican Party, blah, blah, blah. Um, so getting attacked by someone who's you know, actually more liberal and on the left, uh, that was a good feeling. That felt like we were doing something right. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering because I, I know that with the Metropolitan Club that you're a part of, you are probably spending – I mean, I – I'm that person that is home all the time, especially now, not just because we're in quarantine, but even before I work from home, I'm always home. I'm always, you know, my kids are at that age where you can't really leave them alone. There was a sweet spot between when they were too young to be left alone and then they got to be almost too old to leave alone. So I just feel like I am not out and about in the world the same way that you are. And I'm really wondering when you are, um, when you're moving around in those circles with your Metropolitan Club folks or other party people, how often does climate come into the conversation? It's usually someone else bringing it up to me because they do see my online presence. Um, and many of them will come up to me and say, you know, I like, I love you. I really wish you would just shut up about all this climate change <laughs> stuff. Um, but they, they know that I'm 
a conservative at heart. They know that I am a Republican and I'm not, you know, just a wolf in sheep's clothing trying to, you know, trying to inject, you know, liberal propaganda into, into their brains. Um, so they'll bring it up more as a subject of curiosity. Like they, they see that I agree with them on, you know, 90, 95% of the issues, but then there's this, just one outlier where I'm a way big outlier uh, relative to where their position is, and it it confuses them. So they'll they'll talk to me about it, and usually whenever I talk to other Republicans about this and kind of give them my position on it, we're not really that far apart. Where in, in terms of just like agreement that we need to take care of the environment, an agreement that pollution is bad, and um, you know that that there are things that we can do to make our impact less severe on the environment and to and to minimize the effects of human behavior. Uh, they're on board with that. Where they where they recoil is just they associate this topic of climate change with things like the Green New Deal, like regulatory overreach. They associate it with the government coming to tell them that they can't do something and wanting to change their lifestyles. And they they're not into that. They they think that that is, uh, you know, that there's the old um, there's the old uh, metaphor about you know watermelons, right? That you know, cut open a watermelon and it's pink on the inside, it's green on the outside, pink on the inside, and it's the same way with environmental activists. They're just communists in disguise, and that's a very <laughs> widely held belief within the Republican Party. And I think I think on the left, a lot of times that's true. Like people are using climate as a way to push other agendas and we have to ha find a way to cut through that and that that makes our job in conservative circles more challenging is because there is that deep-seated mistrust due to these associations with other um, climate actors that they see on on television so um, it, it's it's been constructive conversations that I've had with folks but um, and I think I've moved the needle with some of them, but it's a process for sure. It is a process. And it sounds like you're kind of a tackling them one person at a time, which is often how Bob Inglis handles it. He is on the road a lot. And I think that was how uh, you came to find Republic EN, right? You met Bob at an event maybe that the Metropolitan Club had sponsored. Uh, it was before the, the Met Club sponsored an event. It was, uh, it was in 2017. It was around the time that that I started to to really focus on climate, because um, I was I was already of the belief that global warming was happening and that the Republican Party was wrong about it. Um, but 2017 was the year when I started to really pay attention to just how catastrophic the effects of climate change could be, and there was. I think I think in the back of my mind there was a hope that well we'll figure it out and we'll do something about it like it won't get that bad and then it was just the sinking realization that shoot we're not doing anything about it like we're not moving fast enough this is a runaway train and no one's doing anything to stop it um, so I kind of fell into a little bit of a, of a funk um, regarding my my party activism and affiliation and uh, then some one of my friends on Facebook promoted this uh, this screening that Bob was holding of Merchants of Doubt, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of the eco right, and first time I realized that there are other conservatives out there like me who believe in this and are are working to to change this within the Republican Party, and that was uh, that was a that was a watershed moment for me politically, um, and I was so excited to meet Bob. Um, and then later, once I became on, once I got on the board of the Met Club, um, one of my first goals was to get him to come in as a speaker. And the club was very supportive. We've always been supportive of uh, people from like a wide range of beliefs and uh, and positions within the Republican Party. Uh, so they're very open-minded to it. Uh, and so we had Bob as a speaker at the Met Club. That was the first. Uh, that was the first event that I really organized for them. 
I have a little challenge for you, and that is to help me reframe how we call a carbon tax, what we call a carbon tax, because I think so many people are turned off by the T word. And I swear to God, that is one of the biggest impediments to getting a price on carbon. We can't call it a carbon tax without people's heads popping off at the idea of imposing even a revenue neutral border adjustable carbon tax, which won't grow the government and could potentially um, increase income in people's pockets. But we can't call it cap and trade. You know, there, we're, we're limited. <laughs> and I would love, you don't have to answer me today, but help us think about what we could call it instead. I'll say I, I've also run into that resistance and I, I encountered that resistance myself. I mean, the first time I spoke to Bob um, in our follow-up conversation where he recruited me to join the team, part of our discussion was me trying to convince Bob to, to abandon this idea of a carbon tax because <laughs> I just thought it was, it was too wacky and nobody would be into it. Um, and then, of course, as you know, I became a, a full convert over time. Um, but it was a process for me. I had to like, it was it was a it was against all conservative ideology to have a tax to fix anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once you understand the complexities of the problem of climate change and this idea of the leakage problem, which we talked about earlier, like you have to have a mechanism that doesn't just change things here in the U.S., but you have to force buy-in abroad and. The, the force, the, the coercion that comes from the carbon tax is based on the import tariffs. So whenever I'm talking to, to conservatives about, about carbon taxes, I don't talk about a carbon tax regime at home. I talk about carbon tariffs. And, That's really smart, actually. You know, it, it actually, tariffs are in vogue in the mm-hmm. conservative movement right now in the Republican Party. And whenever you talk about, like, you know, China's polluting so much. They're building all these coal plants through the Belt and Road Initiative. They're using the, the cheapest coal technology out there. They burn coal in dirty and efficient ways. And all that pollution is going into our shared skies. Like they're they're actively polluting American skies while advancing their own interests abroad. We need to come up with a way to punish them for that. And then you get like the nationalist fervor mm-hmm. kind of going and like the anti-China sentiment and it starts to click with them. Actually, I had a friend who was uh, thinking about running for Congress and uh, he's, he's since put a hold on his campaign, but he was all in on this idea of carbon tariffs and he was going to make it a, you know, a plank in his, in his campaign before, uh, before actually pulling it. But um, I just find that that works a little better, but it is difficult to talk to, mm-hmm. Republicans about any type of tax. John, thank you so much for your time and your energy to Republic EN. I should just one more time note that our spokespeople are volunteers. So aside from having a high pressure job in Manhattan and a new baby at home and a life outside of the eco-right, John has been one of our most prolific volunteers and we really appreciate it. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So great always to hear from John Sweeney and to get to have a conversation with him. He's such a great guy. John Sweeney is a rock star, Chelsea, in terms of you guys talked about volunteering and, you know, you know, non obviously non-paid and what we do. But John is a rock star. He he constantly is writing, pitching op-ed ideas, um, you know, and, and he's relentless and it's awesome to have it, it. He honestly reminds me a lot of a ways, a lot of the folks with CCL, uh, you know, our good friends over at Citizens Climate Lobby who, who are as active and as strong as anybody out there when it comes to volunteer groups. John, it's, it, I mean, he's a bulldog, man. He just goes after it and having somebody embedded in, you know, Republican conservative circles like he is, I think it's just an it's it's just awesome to have somebody like that on our team speaking out with common sense on, on behalf of Republican and and certainly, you know, the issues of climate change. For sure. And I sometimes forget he has a full time stressful job and he just had a baby and he's living right outside New York City, which was obviously one of the hardest hit regions um due to the coronavirus. So he has a lot going on, but he 
I feel like more than any of our volunteers really looks at everything through the lens of free market solutions and what can we do for climate change. And he's always working it and he's always thinking of different angles and his events, I think, are well done. And he's just all around a strong guy. John, we love you so much as if you couldn't tell. Yeah, and if you're uh, if you're interested in you know being a, a spokesperson uh, in, or anything you know joining the team, let us know. Um, you know, drop us a line, uh, send us an email, contact us. You know, you can get in touch with us. It's real easy. Chelsrepublicin.org. Um, you know, the other thing I wanted to just touch on real quickly. Um, I know it was I was gone last week out on vacation, but the previous week um, didn't get to touch on it, but. I wanted to say how awesome we had our county youth chair uh, program that wrapped up. I think we briefly touched on it, but we had basically kind of a celebration party, you know, for the, um, you know, for everybody that, that, that participated in the program um, that were, they were basically, you know, junior seniors in high school, uh, but they got points for different things they did. And, you know, as part of our county youth chair program and we got to celebrate them, I I believe it was the Friday um, right before I left and, you know, to, you know, when Lee, who put that together and, and to, to to watch those guys, it was we all talked to him via Zoom. That was super awesome. And I, I was thinking about on vacation last week, you know, how just inspiring to see such young people like that. Lance Lawson, obviously, you know, a past guest. And uh, just to see, you know, the, the inspiration that, that young folks like that have, you know, for obviously certainly our issue. Uh, but folks are going to be future leaders. For sure. If you have not checked out Lance Lawson's episode, he was week two where he appeared with his father and talked about the inspiration for an op-ed he wrote with us called How I Convinced My Dad Climate Change is Real. And it's a really moving discussion, so definitely tune into that. If you're unfamiliar with our county youth chair program, this was something we just kicked off last year. It was Wen Lee's idea. You heard from Wen earlier in today's episode. And we, Bob had met all these young high schoolers um, touring boys states in the country, giving speeches to boys states. And I always have to say, Price, it's not that we do not try to get into girls states. (laughs) We have tried. And I think the key is I have to go speak to girls states because I went to girls state and I think that they want women. So that should be our pitch for next year. But this year, obviously, obviously all the boys and girls states they, I don't know if they were just canceled altogether or they were moved remotely, but travel not being possible, we didn't have that way to recruit for our second um, round of county youth chairs. And these county youth chairs were just high school volunteers. They did different things, as Price mentioned. They would get a certain number of points if they wrote an op-ed or a letter to the editor or made a presentation to class. Some of these students got Bob to appear at their school, either in real life or virtually. Others attended protests, marches. They just did a number of things and they were so active and these are going to be future leaders. And so it was just great to see them take the bull by the horns and really run with the program and be active. And then to see all their faces on that last Zoom was really affirming that, reaffirming that this was a great program and we want to do more of that. So since we don't have that recruitment pipeline, definitely, if you know a rising high school senior especially in these weird times, you know, some kids can't have jobs this summer. Internships, I think, are going to be rarer and rarer as we deal with the coronavirus. So this could be a really easy way for your um, high school senior, you know, to get something on their resume for their college applications that looks good, but also helps the movement. So that's my pitch for county youth chairs. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned, um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Lance Lawson in in his you know previous interview. Like um, you know, it that that is one, uh, not just one, but two. Uh, our first three episodes, you can go back and people can listen. You know, even if you missed one, you can go back and and listen to all of our previous episodes. We got clips and stuff out there. You can go back and and find previous episodes and, and listen to anything that you missed. And so. You know, certainly, uh, you know, go back and do that. If you know, if you're just now subscribing, uh, go check out some of the things uh, that you may have missed. Uh, you know, as we kicked off. Speaking of kicking off, you we, you did it with this. You know, the very first segment here in this episode, Chels, with with Win Lee. What a awesome breath of fresh air Win Lee has brought to our team. We've referenced her before uh, in many different ways, but to have her. 
her quirkiness, her awesomeness, her ideas, her fun. Her organization. Oh, my God, her organization. <laughs> oh, man. She has just been so awesome. I, you can't put into words, really, and I won't try to, what um, what she's meant to our team uh, since coming on board. She has just well, been awesome. Well, I mean, remember awesome. how we floundered? We totally floundered when she was on maternity leave. We were like, what? Oh, somebody has to keep notes. We need an agenda. What are we doing? We're having three-hour hour phone calls because Wen isn't here to, to cut us off and tell us it's time to move on. She's great. She's creative. She's funny. She's just such a pleasure to work with. And, um, you know, we just lost Kevin who you all also heard about, heard from in one of our early episodes, he is left to go on and take the finance world by char, um, by to take on the finance world. And, and he is already missed today was our first day where we had a team call without him. And I have to say, I was a little sad price. Yeah. We had to say goodbye to Kevin Crosswhite, uh, officially last week. Um, I'm sure he'll be with us in in spirit, so to speak. Um, you know, he going to New York City in in the coming months, but you know he'll and he's listening now. I'm sure. I'm Kevin, sh- hi, Kevin. <laughs> I'm sure he is. Kevin, give us a review. Um, you know, get, while you're listening, Kevin Crosswhite and anybody else, give us a review on on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It's real easy. Uh, five stars would be great, but we'll take anything because it helps other people interested in in climate change and. Uh, the eco right to find what we do and, and the interviews we have here uh, as part of the eco right speaks and I had a couple of reviews real quick Chelsea because if you write a review uh, chances are we might uh, read a snippet of it and I want to read a couple of them uh, right here uh, that we just got uh, since the last one uh, Nikki seventeen forty eight said the most effective climate solutions will come when the right matches the left's passion for planetary care. Thank you, Republican, for stoking the fire. Hope it spreads. Uh, One more, Rep GC3. Awesome job with this podcast. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to future episodes. So really appreciate those reviews. And certainly, again, you want to write one, please do. It will not only help us out, it will help other people and and you listening uh, and future subscribers find us. And chances are, again, that we will uh, read your review and, and your handle uh, here on the podcast, Jels. That's right. It's just a great way to support us and to also get your little, it's not quite 15 minutes, but maybe 15 seconds of eco-right fame. All right. Before we let you go, Chelsea, I want to know what you did on the 4th of July or, or you know, uh, to celebrate <laughs> our, our nation's independence. And, you know, I, I was out of town uh, at the beach all last week and I, ha- I had an interesting conversation. Um, I know we, we all we all do. Um, you know, it was nice to kind of get out, you know, for the first time in a little while. Uh, but I met a, I met a lady, uh, you know, by the pool one day and she was a conservative. She was, a I want to call an open eye conservative. Um, and told me about some of the work she does with, with foster kids here, here in the state. Um, I won't get into a lot of the politics that we talked, but, um, she asked, you know, what I did and, you know, explained to her and, you know, basically the way she ended is I just wish more people, you know, especially on the conservative side of the aisle thought like you do. And I said, amen, ma'am. And it was, it was just a, (laughs) certainly a breath of fresh air to, you know, just to go out and meet because some of us don't get to get out, uh, not just in COVID times, but, you know, Bob is the one always on the road getting to meet and greet everybody at different speaking engagements, but, you know, getting to meet just other, you know, open-eyed conservatives like myself who, who get it, who understand, you know, there aren't, you know, climate deniers there. It won't get into everything, but just the breath of fresh air to come across people, certainly in the times that we're in right now, uh, to give to give an amen. Yeah, I mean, that's I love it when you have those conversations where you just meet someone and it clicks. And I did not meet anyone by the pool this weekend. <laughs> I did go to the pool for the first time in these days of uh, coronavirus. Our pool is at one quarter capacity and both of my sons are lifeguarding. So I've just been a little bit nervous, but I went on the 4th of July and we have to make a reservation now to to go. And it was empty. We went 6 to 9 p.m. It was amazing. I think most people were either home doing their own barbecues or maybe trying to catch the fireworks somewhere else. Not down in the mall because not many people were on the mall either. But it was just it was a good first trip to the pool. A couple of of my friends were there as well. We sat six feet apart on our lounge chairs. We may have snuck a little wine into the pool and then we 
got in the water and, you know, you didn't have the, all the kids jumping and splashing and things that usually drive me out of the pool. So that was my fourth, very relaxing, very low key. I did make a flag cake on Friday night on the third. Um, It was really one of the best cakes I've ever made. It was a smitten kitchen recipe and I did a sheet cake and I decorated it to look like the flag and it was very much a big hit. So, all right, before we put a bow on this one, just tell me, what did you grill? What did you cook on the, uh, on the barbecue? So I don't own a barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but on the third, when we went and had dinner, socially distanced dinner with our friends that I brought the cake to, Mm -hmm. um, we had a combination of, you know, chicken, bunch of grilled vegetables, um, some falafel that we did in the pan, not on the grill. And we put a screen outside. We, my friend put a screen outside and project with a projector and we watched Hamilton. So that was kind of fun. Um, We had seen it. My kids and I saw it in Chicago, but my other, my friends who, my friend whose house we were at, her kids hadn't seen it. So that was really just a great fun thing to do on the 4th of July Eve, as I will call it. Awesome. Well, tell everybody before we get out of here real quick, who, what do we have coming next week? Who is our guest? So next week, we're going to talk to Sarah Hunt. She is one of the co-founders of the Joseph Rainey Center for Public Policy. This is a really interesting think tank that is two years old. They just celebrated their second birthday and they are trying to create spaces for minorities, mavericks, and I am forgetting the last thing. Oh my gosh. Anyway, they're just, they're wanting to create a space for voices that aren't always heard. And they have a couple of different issue areas that they work in, including clean energy and climate, which is Sarah's passion. So she's going to talk about post-partisanship. She's going to talk about the Rainey Center and all those mavericks, women, mavericks, minorities, those are the voices they're trying to elevate and support. And so we just had a really lovely conversation. I can't wait for our listeners to hear it. Well, I can't wait to uh, to hear it either next week, Chelsea. Uh, another fantastic job. Uh, appreciate everybody downloading, listening, subscribing. You've told everybody you know how to do it. Uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, many different ways. Also, our website, Republican.org. Um, Chelsea, until next week, uh, we'll do it again. All right, I'll be there. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.